Hello everyone and welcome to the Sengoku Jidai Podcast. Today we're going to be covering what it was like every day to be an average peasant. The information for today's episode is provided by the Handbook to Life in Medieval Japan and Early Modern Japan by William E. Deal. An amazing author, I recommend the book highly. Please read it. Let's start with family structure. Family structure in medieval Japan was very hierarchical. So you had the father at the head, and you had the kids, the wife, and everyone below. This was considered the basic family unit, or the ie, i.e., that's how it's pronounced. And this has all of the tones of early Japan, which was very influenced by Confucian ideas from China. If you know the family and how it should be together, how you should care for your elderly, your ancestors, and so on loyalty, filial piety, obligation to the family, these were things that were valued above all else in Japanese society. Again, something that comes from Confucianism. So within the average peasant family, everyone in the house would have a job to do. So the wife would, aside from taking care of the house, she would also help with the farming. The father would, contrary to popular belief, would help with the rearing of the kids. So they were both very involved in the education of the children. Like in Europe, the eldest son usually inherited all of his father's property. Women were kind of allowed to own property, but this is more in the nobility if there was no other son or any close male relative. Rural marriages would be far less formal than the practices of the elite. They were marked by more unruly activity like yobai or night visits where you would go and visit whoever would be your future spouse, the person you were courting, and you would engage in premarital sex which was not looked down upon unlike in Europe where you would be called like a fornicator and an adulterer and you might be killed and stoned for it. How the marital situation was developed, you would have a yuino which is an exchange of gifts and then a miai which is a formal or uh, gathering of the family so that the prospective partners could meet and then from there you would go on to marriage. Men unlike women were given freedom to divorce their wives. Um, women weren't afforded such rights but they could find loopholes such as if uh, their husband suddenly died came down with something and they would join some type of temple and or religious organization. Usually and for most of Japanese history it was a Buddhist convent. Now let's talk about sexuality. The Japanese were very, very, very liberal when it comes to this. They didn't have these rigid standards in Europe where homosexuality was a bad thing. Things like pedosexuality were not frowned upon, but neither were they in Europe. Obviously now in our modern age we realize that these concepts are horrible, but back then you would have a samurai who would sleep with his page, but that's beside the point because we're talking about peasants. This was less common um, between peasants unless it was a peasant boy in a convent uh, or in some type of organization where he was learning and his master would sleep with him. Homosexual relationships were very common, extremely common. They weren't hidden like they are in other places. People would know. I mean, it wouldn't be talked about openly. Like, you wouldn't be like, hey, I'm with this person. But it was certainly something that most people were doing and that it was considered normal by all of the classes in Japan. Aside later on when Christianity comes into play then people who would adopt it would obviously also adopt the practice that um, homosexuality is wrong. Now let's move on to a cheerier topic which is uh, food and drink. Things that you would eat and drink during your day as a peasant. The types of food that you would eat depended very highly 
on your socioeconomic status. If you were a peasant, your diet would consist highly and almost entirely of rice and any fish that you had access to if you lived on the coast and if you did not, type small game. Not that you could hunt it because on most lands that belong to a lord, a peasant cannot hunt without permission and permission is rarely granted. This being said, it is strange. Unlike Europe where the nobility ate extravagant amounts of meat and peasants did not, in Japan, the nobility did not eat almost any meat because of their Confucian values. So the peasants actually ate more meat than the nobility did. Japanese cooking was filled with the staples of seafood, marine vegetation, and rice. The common ingredients included soybean products such as miso, a nutritious grain, and soybean paste made with rice or barley, and mirin, a sweetened version of sake, which I imagine is amazing, used in combination with vinegar and soy sauce, um, which would create a nice concoction. Spices included ginger, wasabi, which is a Japanese horseradish, uh, and sancho a dry green powder made from grinding the sea pods of the prickly ash tree. These products were usually found at your local town markets, uh, which had great supplies of fruits, permisum, cherries, and all types of fruits that could be found in Asia, vegetables, seafood, and other products that could be bought. Well, let's talk about something that many people around this world enjoy, which is sake. One of the most popular drinks in Japan even to this day, and it certainly was back then. It's rice wine, basically, and it was a common sight at social gatherings, events, taverns, and basically everywhere where there was a social activity where alcohol was permitted. Let's move on to dress and appearance. So hair was a powerful symbol in Japan as it reflected your status, your age, your class, sexuality. Samurai hairstyles were very pragmatic, but commoners were usually more of the same either they had their hair unkempt or they would comb it but they didn't have the fancy um, top knot and shaved head that is particular of samurai for women it was very important to appear as if your complexion was as light as possible so a lot of makeup was used to make their skin as white as it could be as this was seen as very attractive it was called a shiroi they would color their lower lip with a paste from a flower called akimayu which could make their lower lip any color that the flower was. Some women shaved their eyebrows and painted them on with a paint called Mayazumi. And if you had a tattoo in medieval Japan, you got it because you were bad. You got it because you were a criminal or something like that, as they were used as punishments. So if you were a prostitute, they might mark you with a, a pledge mark or a kishibori. Well, let's move on to clothing. Peasant clothing was not as crazy as you would, you would see in the nobility. Usually they would wear simple shirts and fabrics made out of clothes, tunics and stuff like that. So commoners often wore simple outfits consisting of a smock, trousers and an overcoat. Women traditionally wore kimonos with girdles called yumaki, often layered if the weather demanded, so to keep them warm. Sometimes commoners were, went barefoot, which is not as bad as people think because the more you are barefoot, the, the harder your feet become, so you get more resistant. Due to hot summers, sometimes you would wear a shinaka or sandals so that your feet wouldn't burn, especially if you were somewhere where it was paved, so either in gravel or any type of thing that might retain heat. Also due to the hot weather in Japan, it was not uncommon to be a man with only a loincloth. So basically a g-string and nothing else. Traditional headgear for peasants uh, usually included if they were working the kasa, which is the straw hat that is so famous 
and that uh, everyone knows. Later on, as the Portuguese arrived with their influence, the capa would evolve from the Portuguese gueta, which is a type of raincoat. So if you were a peasant in medieval Japan, you would have to tread lightly, you would have to speak to your betters, quote-unquote, so to samurai with a lot of respect or not at all, because anything that they saw as disrespect could end you in a lot of trouble, even death, summarily. Wife was always expected to walk behind her husband in public and usually look at the ground, couldn't look at other men. When greeting anyone, even someone who you knew or a friend or something, you were expected to remove all of anything that you're wearing for work, such as your uh, hat or gloves or whatever you were using, as it would seem disrespectful not to. When speaking to your superiors, you were expected to put your hand in front of your mouth as to cover your orifice. Alright, now let's move to a more fun topic, which is sports and diversions. Believe it or not, the ancient world did have sports and it did have diversions. And in Japan, they had a bunch of those. One of the most popular activities where you would go and see would be sumo wrestling. Sumo wrestling was very, very popular in Japan. It involved, obviously, almost exactly the same as it is today, two really big guys with loin claws trying to push each other out of a circle. The regular peasant could also involve himself in things like cockfighting, fishing, falconry, and a non-traditional sport called Kemari, which is, was popular among the nobility in the Kamakura period, but as time went on into the Sengoku Jidai, more and more people played it. It involved you standing around in a circle, kicking a ball, and not letting it touch the floor. So, soccer meets hacky sack, I'm quoting Joe. Oh, another, there was also another version of this game called Temari, which was almost the same thing, but hands, no feet, so a handball. And then you had Hanetsuki, which was a kind of like badminton in which you have wooden paddles and a shuttlecock almost just like badminton and then for the more cerebral people you had go which is an ancient chinese game which many people played and shogi shogi is very comparable to chess and it would evolve more into chess as european influence came more and more into japan in the 16th century you had kagome kagome which is means bird in a cage and it's where children would stand around in a circle and sing us the song called Kagome Kagome. Kind of like Duck Duck Goose a little bit. And then one child would stand looking out and as soon as the song was over he would try to guess which of the children in the circle stood up when the song ended. So it was very very much like Duck Duck Goose but a little bit different. You had Neki which in this game a one foot high wooden stake is placed up right into the ground. The object of the game is to knock down the stake by throwing a stick against it. So imagine you put a broomstick into the ground and then you throw sticks on it till it uh, falls down. Very fun game. And lastly you had Jenkin or Janken. This is a game of rock, paper, scissors basically. Pairs of children would say Jan, Ken, Pong in unison and then would hold out their hands. A closed fist was a stone, a hand held out flat was paper and a hand with two fingers extended was scissors. So now let's move on to pets. Household pets in Japan were rare. If an animal was cared for by a human, it usually meant it had a purpose. Uh, insects such as crickets were valued because of the soothing noise from their chirping, which is strange because in the West we'd be like, oh, kill that cricket, it's, it's annoying. And fireflies were caught and put in like little glass cages. I think the lighting that they produced is very beautiful and it's, it made for a nice aesthetic. Wild monkeys in Japan were usually caught and trained to perform tricks, such as dancing for the public, and so they would be street performers, basically. You would have your little monkey and you would go on the street and he would dance and people might throw in a coin. 
dogs were rarely kept as pets in Japan, with the exception of Pekingese dogs brought in by the Dutch later on, they were rarely seen. Domestic cats imported into Japan from China and Korea were prized possessions, like you would have to be very rich, but this was only until the 10th century. By our time period of the Sengoku Jirai, cats were very common, They were, you know, because they were used to control pets, such as rats and so on. The traditional Japanese breed of cat is described as short hair, mostly white with black and brown markings and a round face. So being an animal in Japan was probably one of the best places to be because they enjoyed a lot of protection by Buddhist teachings as Buddhism forbids the taking of any life. Obviously this did not apply to human life but when it came to animals it was actually respected. So if you were an average peasant, you could expect to live anywhere between 35 to 45 years on average. But this is very, averages are very, they're very misleading because that's when you put everyone together and do some math and you get an average. But you could be a Japanese person that lived to be 90. It would be rare, but it happened. The ability for humans to live as long as we can hasn't increased. It's just more people are getting to be older. But you had people back then who lived to be 90, who lived to be 100, but it was very rare. So to end the episode, I'm gonna read to you a story that was written about an average person, but someone who is an outstanding person. If, if we could say so they wouldn't be your average Joe but they are a life that you could have if you were a Japanese peasant in the single Jedi. My name is Takechiyo. I write this letter on the 28th day of the first moon of the 10th year of Tensho, 1582. A European Luis Freud, who is a guest of our Lord Nobunaga, has asked me to write about the life of a commoner like me. I am highly honored and will strive to accomplish this great deed. I was born in Awari in the first year of Koji, 1555. My father died at the Battle of Okehasema, fighting for my lord of Oda. He was an Ashigaru and was struck down while making his way to slay the vile Yoshimoto Imagawa. I was a child when he died, so I don't remember much. All I have left of him are his armor and weapon. His Jingasa, which I polish every day to keep the iron shiny. Master Froys told me it's a Wakizashi, which is as sharp as any samurai's katana. My father's death made life harder than it was before. My mother had done everything she could to feed us. Sometimes I would hear men in the village laugh when I said her name. My brother turned 18 a few years later and assumed ownership of my father's responsibilities to produce rice for our lord and to feed his family. I worked hard from dawn until dusk every day to make sure that our rice would survive and give us a plentiful harvest. I didn't want to be a farmer, I wanted to be like my father. When I turned 16, I joined the army of my lord to fight against the traitor Nagamasa Asai and rescue the Lady Oichi. At the Battle of Anegawa, I fought under General Hiri Yoshihashiba, who was commanding for the first time a division of first-timers just like him. I was very scared. The samurai of the Asai shouted taunts at us, and it seemed like they did not fear us at all, even though we outnumbered them 4 to 1. No one believes me when I tell them that I do not recall anything after our initial charge. All I remember is that after the battle, Hideyoshi himself gifted me 100 coins and a set of suneate, along with new sandals. My comrades say that I slew a samurai called Kizenrabi, but I cannot remember no matter how hard I tried to. I served in many battles under my lord. I was even promoted to captain of a group of Ashigaro after the battle of Nagashino. This battle I do remember. I was assigned a Tanagashima, a matchlock rifle. I was reported by my comrades to have shot the mighty Nobuharu Baba to death. 
for this I am not proud, for a, lonely, a lowly man such as me should not have taken the life of such a great and renowned samurai. Sadly for me, any dreams I could have of serving at Lord Nobunaga's side under General Hideyoshi were cut short. After the Battle of Nagashino, I came down with a curse that made me incapable of serving. I would fade from time to time and my vision would blur. I would feel so weak I could barely hold my sword. Master Freud says he has an idea of what it might be and will continue to search for an explanation. I have talked about myself for long enough in this letter. This is to describe the life of a commoner and now once again I am just a simple farmer and I will do my very best to describe our lot in life. The Oda were kind enough to give me a farm of 25 koku, which is sizable, in the area of Oumi in Kyoto. In this area of Oumi and Kyoto is where the Oda have settled many of their Ashigaru who have either retired or have become incapable of service. With the money I had made as an Ashigaru I managed to build a nice home where one day I could raise a family. I met my wife for the first time while working the field. I didn't have any children so I took in two orphans that Master Froys had found in Tamba after my lord Nobunaga destroyed the ruling clan there. They were very good kids and strong, one was six, the other seven. I named them Raike and Ryuk. I grew to love them very much. But back to my wife. Her father came to me while I worked on my paddy fields and invited me for tea. I went to a tailor and bought some new clothes and then to the bathhouse so I could bathe and look presentable at his home. I did not know that he would offer me an opportunity to woo his daughter, but I was eager to make friends. I left the kids at their reading session with Master Keno and headed toward my neighbor Shibasun's home to the Maya. He had a nice home. His wife Nohio had a cherry blossom planted in front of her house and a myriad of flowers all over the garden. We sat to drink hot, hot some wine as Nihu left to bring us Shibasun told me the real reason he had invited me over was because he was looking for his daughter to marry a worthy man. We sat and ate and talked for hours about our terrible battles that we had been involved in and about our lot of life. At the end of the night he stood up and bowed. He told me that it would be an honor if I met his daughter. I was not looking for a bride yet, but I agreed for the sake of my host. His wife brought her out and I smiled because she was covered in makeup which meant that Shibasun had been planning this since the day he invited me. I must admit that she was very beautiful, but I felt I was not worthy to marry anyone. After the battle of Nagashino and the terrible curse that afflicted me, I began to wake in the middle of the night screaming as I had nightmares of the horrors that I witnessed over so many years and I did not feel like putting anyone else through that. The kids wake up crying and that was enough for me. Over the next couple months we kept seeing each other and somehow we were married. She's an amazing mother to the boys and we haven't had any kids of our own yet but I am very happy. Master Furuta Oribe sent me some ceramic wear as a gift as he and I had fought together earlier in life. My wife insists that I teach the kids how to fight, so I did. Ryuk is fast and dangerous and Raike is not. He's always getting beat by his brother. I think that I will teach him a different sort of fighting. But Ryuk, I will write a letter to my old commander and see if I can find a job for him in the army. For now I will keep them with me until they are men grown. Sadly, aside from fighting their little, I can teach them as they know more about farming than I do. But thankfully, Master Freud has begun to tutor them and he is teaching them all things European and even the language of Portuguese. Hopefully one day they can find jobs at tr as translators in my lord's court. For now, I'm thankful just to have the boys playing tamari in our front yard. Life in our little village is tranquil. 
we have made peace in these parts, I haven't seen bandits in close to a decade. We have a tavern on the outskirts run by Masarico. That host dog really knows how to make some good sake. The bathhouse I have talked about earlier is run by the Kriya family, and my wife loves to bathe almost every day, and it's nearing me to bankruptcy. I jest, of course. We have a store that sells all types of spices and other commodities. I like going because the owner, Danamon, has a monkey that plays a tiny tamari ball. It's quite a sight. I wish I could get my hands on one. I think I'd call him Yoshi, after Hideyoshi, but do not tell him. I must apologize that I cannot finish this letter. I write this now because it might be the only chance I get to tell the truth of the things that I have seen. I will hand this paper to Master Freud and hope to Hachiman and Bishamonte that he can take this to the other lords of the Oda clan. I was on my way to meet Lord Nobunaga as he has sent me a letter asking me to train a regiment of riflemen and I would gladly for him as I owed him everything. I arrived and met with Ranmaru Mori who took me to a guest room so that I could spend the night and meet my lord in the morning. I was so excited that I polished my rifle until late at night so that it would look pristine when I made the demonstration to Lord Oda. But that night something went wrong. It was dark and gloomy as I tried to sleep. I began to smell fire and hear screams. Something wasn't right. That's when I got up, put my armor on and my sword, grabbed my rifle and ran to the temple where my lord was staying. Sadly, I didn't make it very far as the temple was surrounded by men who were shouting and shooting arrows and musket balls at the temple. I heard terrible screams coming and that's when I heard their leader say the enemy is at Honnoji. I couldn't hear who it was by the voice but I pointed the glass on my rifle and aimed for his head. The flames rising at the temple made everything seem engulfed in fire and that's when I pulled the trigger. But as I pulled it I saw who it was. It was Mitsuhide Akechi and my aim faltered. I missed and took an arrow in the shoulder. It was only by the help of a monk who gave me his horse that I managed to make it home. I must find Master Luis. The order claim must know the truth. Thank you so much for listening.